hand slid the penny into the waistcoat pocket as Boss Tweed's head moved to nod his thanks. The man smiled. It was no wonder he preferred these toys to people. He had come home from Cape Town with his brother's body after two years of forms and long hours in hot, dusty offices in search of the proper signatures. What he hadn't bargained for was the information he'd collected along the way, information he had never told his mother but which had been a burden on his soul ever since. Almost ten years now. Because, like Hamlet, he couldn't make up his mind what to do about what he knew. Well, to be fair, not ten years of single-minded effort. The Great War had begun the year after his return from South Africa, while he was still trying to discover what had become of those two men after they left the army. It wasn't his fault that he'd been stationed in India, far from home, but that had turned out to be a lucky break, for he discovered quite by accident where they were and what they were doing. In early 1918, he'd been shipped back to London, suffering from the bloody flux, almost grateful for that, because he was able at last to look into the information he'd come by in Pune. Only he'd misjudged his quarries and made a fool of himself. It wouldn't do to brood on events again. That way lay madness. On the shelves behind him was an array of mechanical and clockwork toys, many of them for adults, like the golden bird that rose from an enameled snuff-box to sing like a nightingale. Banks were a particularly fine subject for such mechanical marvels. A penny tipped to the owner sent a performing dog through a hoop. In another example, a grinning bear disappeared down a tree stump as the hunter lifted his rifle to fire. Humour and clever design had gone into the creation of each toy. The shifting weight of the penny set the device concealed in the base into motion, making the action appear to be magical. He had always found such devices fascinating, even after he'd worked out the mechanism that propelled them. His mind grasped the designer's plan very quickly, and sometimes he had bettered it in devices of his own, skill calling to skill. He took quiet pride in that. He reached for another penny to put into Boss Tweed's hand, thinking to himself that it would be equally as fascinating to trick human beings into doing whatever one wished by placing not a coin in a slot, but an idea in their minds. He sat back, stunned at the thought. Hadn't he gone to South Africa to please his mother, to earn the love she'd always lavished on his elder brother, hoping in some fashion that when he had accomplished what she'd asked of him, he'd be loved as much too? She had used him, as surely as if she had slipped a penny in the proper slot. His mother had died six weeks after they buried his brother in the churchyard, and it wasn't his name on her lips as she breathed her last. Her final thoughts had been turned toward that glorious reunion in heaven with her dear boy. It was over her corpse, lying in her coffin in the hall of this very house, that he'd poured out all that he'd been told in South Africa, wanting to hurt her as much as she had hurt him but well aware that nothing he said could touch her now, knowing himself for a coward even as the words drained him. And in the silence of the empty house, he could almost hear her voice as clearly as if she spoke from the closed coffin, telling him to do his duty once more. Kill them, Ronald. See that they pay. Send them to hell, my boy, and I'll love you then. Easy enough for her to say. But how did one go about finding one murderer, let alone a pair of them? 
and once found, how did one go about punishing them? Does one conceal a revolver in one's pocket and shoot the bastards there and then? Both men were equally guilty. He had no reservations about that. One for the act itself, the other for never reporting it and seeing that justice was done. He didn't want to hang for them, or his mother, or her dear boy. He had tried to persuade the army to look into the matter, and they had turned a blind eye. They hadn't even initiated an inquiry, hadn't so much as taken down names. His only evidence was the word of an aging drunken boar, who hated the English ten years later as much as he'd hated them during the fighting. And what was that worth, I ask you, the army had said, against the word of two Englishmen? And yet the Afrikaner, who'd been left for dead by his comrades, had lain there wounded within sight and hearing of the train until he'd stopped bleeding and could crawl away. He had watched the horror.